It's Thursday, April 3rd, and welcome to Market Foolery. Chris, take it from here. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today from Molly Pool Funds, Tim Hansen, and from Pool.com, Matt Copenhaver. Thanks for helping me out on the intro. I've always <laughs> wanted to do the intro. I've always you, I've envied you, you from it, afar. Tim. You nailed it. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. Um, this is going to be an all-listener show. I was going to say all me, uh, all mailbag show, all email show, but the fact is we get uh, as many, if not more, comments and questions on Twitter. So um, let's start with an email we got from Bill King, one of our listeners, who wrote, I was wondering if you plan to do any coverage on the Michael Lewis book, Flash Boys. We've been waiting to do this I because this was for anyone who has not yet heard or seen Sunday Night on 60 Minutes, one of the stories was an interview with best-selling author Michael Lewis about his new book, Flash Boys, which is about, in a nutshell, high-frequency trading on Wall Street done at a very high institutional level. And the money quote from the interview was Michael Lewis saying, the market is rigged. The market is rigged and everybody's in on it. No uncertain terms there. Yeah, in no uncertain terms. And then this story evolved over the week, uh, one of the highlights being Tuesday, which was a 20-minute smackdown in the middle of the day between Michael Lewis, um, one of the people from the book who's, who's sort of set up as the hero character in the book, mm-hmm. um, I guess the former head of the Bats Exchange or maybe the current head of the Bats Exchange, and there was just a lot of yelling back and forth. Uh, let's start with let's start with Michael Lewis himself and this claim that the market is rigged. Uh, because Tim, it seems like when you step back and you look at it, first of all, that's when I hear rigged, I think automatically of Las Vegas casino games in which there is no winner except the house. And to say that the market is rigged by my definition that I just gave, that's just not true. This is a silly discussion, I think. <laughs> I, it's gotten way too much attention already. Um, it's a lot of you know sound and fury signifying nothing. I think you know the big picture question to ask yourself is whether you're an individual investor or an institutional investor, um, you know, as we are at Motley Philosophy Management, is it easier to, and better and cheaper and more efficient to trade today than it was 20 years ago? I mean, the answer is unequivocally yes overwhelmingly i mean from from you know having to look up a quote in the in the newspaper quoted in fractions and then like phoning it into a dude in a vest to what you can do today which is just act and 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 do whatever clearly the system has improved over time are there things in the system that aren't perfect absolutely i think you know with high frequency trading there's certainly things in there that that you know may be illegal um, or front-running in, in that regard. I think that's what Michael Lewis is pointing to in well, his that book. Was, and that was the thing that was pointed out, that Steve Croft, who was doing the interview, said, well, wait a minute. Everything you're talking about, this is all legal. Yeah. And, well, and it is, it, as it, it currently is constituted. Well, you can't trade on inside information. And knowing, someone's, knowing somebody's trade and then trading ahead of them because you know what they're going to do, that would already be illegal, as I understand it. Um, you know, adding liquidity to the market, you know, and this is where it gets into a very interesting point of entrenched interests, right? So Charles Schwab is out with a statement today, which I printed out, that says, that calls high-frequency trading a cancer, which right there, that's an over, I mean, 
Cancer? Yeah. Cancer's kind of serious stuff. I, I mean, the actual headline. The market is high, literally dying. I'm <laughs> watching the, the market. High frequency rain. trading is a growing cancer that needs to be addressed. And this is a statement that is signed by uh, Walter Bettinger, the president and CEO, and Charles Schwab. Now, now here's what I love. So here they say, quote, here are examples of practices that should concern us all. Advantaged treatment, unequal access to information, and inappropriate use of information. You know who did that 10 years ago? Anybody who was making a market in a stock, and they still do it. And Charles Schwab, I believe, routes 96% of their orders to UBS and then gets rebated money based on the profitability of those orders. And UBS loves, you know what they love? Wide bid-ass spreads. Yeah. So anything that narrows the bid-ass spread to them is, is, is an enemy of theirs. And I think that's one reason why you're seeing people go after high-frequency trading because it's hurting the profitability of market making. I mean, it's just it's a whole morass of probably – Lack of ethics. But as long as you know what your stock is worth, set a limit order. Ignore the whole thing. Matt, I got emailed by a couple of radio stations uh, and basically asking me, like, hey, can you come on our morning show and talk about like this? Because, and you and I were talking about this earlier this morning, just that headline. If you're, if you're just the average investor who doesn't really engage in all that much trading or maybe doesn't even pay all that much attention to the stock market, and the water cooler conversation Monday at your office is, uh, Michael Lewis says the stock market is entirely rigged. That's got to scare you a little bit. You know, the, the thing about Michael Lewis, I love Michael Lewis. I think he is, he's such a talented writer. But, but when I think back at, at, at the work that Michael Lewis has done, Michael Lewis has not been he, – he's not known as an investor himself. I wouldn't call him a, a shareholder or an investor advocate. He has said uh, when we've had him here in the office, when, when people have asked him, how do you invest your money? And he does not. Boring. He, he, Low-cost yeah. index funds. Yeah, he's an index fund guy. I so, he said he had it all with Merrill Lynch, didn't he? This is like family broker in New Orleans? Possibly. I, I know that Talk he, about something that's rigged. But, but, anyway. <laughs> no, no, but, but meaning he is, he is not someone, even though he previously worked on Wall Street in the 80s, he is not someone – who uses that expertise? He doesn't put that to use in picking stocks, right? So, what is it? Michael Lewis is a storyteller, and 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 I think one of the one of the better things that I've, that I've read about this. There's a um, Wall Street Journal piece piece by Chuck Asnes of AQR Capital, and one of the things he said is that a uh, talking about mountains, turning molehills into mountains, is a much better way to sell books than to do a, a detailed, exhaustive study of molehills. Right. <laughs> And that's exactly what Lewis has done here. And I'm sure – I haven't read the book yet. I'm sure it is an engaging, fascinating, wonderful book that will be a really enjoyable read. Um, but what it's not is really getting to the, the, the facts and the truth about the situation. And I think saying that the market is rigged, no, no matter what it is that he means behind that, that's the headline. That's the soundbite. And that's detrimental to investors, and that's detrimental to the market. I mean, the market was up 20% last year. I mean, retail investors who have 401ks made a lot of money. That doesn't strike me as a rigged system, you know, I, where you're I mean, stealing if, money from, from people. I was going to say, if this, if this were coming out in the spring of 2009... He would, he would, you know, he would probably have more people I mean, on board would, with him as opposed to, as you said, in the wake of the market having one of its best years in the last. Well, but 60 the thing, or he, he still does though. Fifty percent of people are still saying that the stock market is a bad way to go, and that's that's one of the highest. I that's mean, true. especially on young people too. Yeah, everybody is still scared of the stock market, and this doesn't help that. But I think, you know, what Tim said uh, hits the nail right on the head. You look at you look at the costs, and and the costs aren't just the fees that you pay for a trade. So you place a trade through e uh, E Trade. You pay whatever eight or ten dollars or whatever you pay, 
but it's also that bid ask spread, and that's the part that people tend to ignore the difference between the, the, the bid price and the ask price. And that has compressed drastically over the years. Um, that's great Which for is investors. Which aw- awesome. It's great for yeah. investors. It's terrible for many, many uh, entrenched interests in right. the financial markets. And that's who you're seeing driving a lot of this conversation. And, and I'm, I'm not saying that, that Michael Lewis is, is, is being driven by them. Maybe he's being driven a little bit by this guy who's starting a, a separate exchange, which would benefit greatly if everybody started right. moving over there. Um, but there are a lot of entrenched interests on Wall Street that uh, are, are getting hurt by the, the, by the, the compressing of the bid-ask spreads and by the lower trading costs. This, yeah. is, a, this is ultimately a very complicated story um, that probably isn't well-served in a in a novel type form or on TV shows, right? Um, if you're trying to get to the truth, right. if you're trying to tell a good story, right. works works well. The, um, There's clear villains, <laughs> clear heroes. The the you know the thing is is that everybody in this business in the trading business is required to give people who are putting in trades what's called best execution. But there is no there is no standard definition of what best execution is. Mm. So from our standpoint, when we place an order. Uh, you know, for for one of the mutual funds, best execution, it could be perceived as we need to get the lowest possible price offered on that day, maybe. It could be getting what's called volume-weighted average price, which is just, you got the midpoint price of the day. Um, you may actually- So, meaning, if, if you put in uh, uh, an order for 100,000 shares of X- VWAP it. Yeah, maybe maybe twenty thousand in you know if it gets executed in blocks of twenty thousand, you're not getting the same price. Right, day. and it averages out to what is so you're the using average a price VWAP of the day. algorithm. You're, you're part about, of the problem. You're part of the problem. High frequency the, trading uh, algorithms over but here. The, you know, the other piece is, is speed of execution. Did you want it done that day? Are you willing to wait ten days? Are you willing to wait three months? You know, we've we have orders that sit on our blotter for a very long time, and so since there's no standard definition, there's a lot of fungibility, and. Um, and, and, and most retail investors, most investors don't really pay attention to that bid ask spread. And I think, you know, w- if the market is rigged, it was probably rigged on that side for a long time. And, hi- and high frequency traders showed up and actually made that more efficient and better, which isn't to say that it doesn't have its problems, but those problems will probably get ironed out over time. And I, I think I was looking at the numbers, the profitability of high frequency trading, as any competitive industry, uh, has declined dramatically over time. Right. And it probably it will, it will approximate zero as that could, and then there will be some other innovation. But I think the big picture question is just: Is it better? Is it cheaper to trade now than it was twenty years ago? And it's a, and it's a no-brainer answer. Yeah, I was talking with one of our colleagues. It, this was either Monday afternoon or Tuesday morning, and he was pretty fired up about all of this. And once he finished talking, I just looked at him and I just said, "I'm I'm sorry. I I have no ability whatsoever to work up one ounce of outrage over this story. It's just like now that I, now that I've read, now that I've not only seen the piece on sixty Minutes, but read." Counter arguments. I, as an investor who really doesn't trade all that much, right. I just look at this and go, "No, I'm sorry. This this has no bearing on me whatsoever." Yeah, if you're a retail, like I said, if you're a retail investor um, and, and you are a value investor, you know the price of the company you want to buy, right? Whether you get it for twelve, twelve dot oh 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 one, twelve dot oh 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 six. I mean, it's a. Re- I mean, if you can't handle six hundredths of a cent of slippage on a five-year investment thesis, I mean, you haven't done the analytical work. Well, and and our friend and colleague Morgan Housel was talking about a conversation he had had uh, recently with uh, a couple of traders and ta- and talking about how, hey, look, a lot of times your trade as an individual investor doesn't even make it all the way to Wall Street. You know, I have, I'll just use yeah, myself as an matched, example. Matched I use TD Ameritrade, 
And, you know, for the orders I'm putting in, they're just using their own shares and matching up, you know, buyers and sellers to get the exact mm-hmm. price. So, um, before we get to more emails, I, I want to say that uh, on Tuesday, uh, April 1st, not just April Fool's Day, we also had a member event we had, uh, for our Motley Fool One service. And I want to say a, a special thanks to Matt Banner, who's one of our Motley Fool One members. He was here with his daughters. This was an event, uh, if, if you guys saw on the first floor, this was a good 90 minutes or so. And here's a guy who brings his lovely daughters who are six and eight years old. And they sat there so patiently through <laughs> through all of the, the talking that was going on. Um, but Matt very nicely brought me, uh, which I will share with you now, um, it could be because from time to time he gets over to the UK for business. He brought me a little something from Mackey's of Scotland, which if you look online, it's it's an ice cream company, but they also make potato chips. Uh, and I looked up- Are these haggis chips? These are haggis chips. Yes. So, so <laughs> here are some of the flavors you can get from Mackey's. Uh, potato crisps, let's be clear. Uh, you can get prawn cocktail, roast ham, flame-grilled Aberdeen Angus. That sounds good. And the haggis and cracked black pepper, which I will open for you now. Um, and I've already opened up a bag previously. These are fantastic. Are so they? They're, they're, yeah. Haggis is totally, I don't know if it's underrated or overrated. What, what exactly is haggis? I always think of the quote from the underrated movie Highlander. I was going to say, so I married an axe murderer. <laughs> That's gamey. It's a little gamey. Uh, it, it, is, it is defined in the movie uh, Highlander as uh, sti- sheep's stomach stuffed with meat and barley. There's a lot of there's gaminess up front, but then it settles into just a regular kind of salty potato chip. Yeah. Crisp. Excuse me. <laughs> Crisps. Um, so, yes, when Matt Copenheffer was previously in the studio, we were talking about Fool Coin, the wonder that is Fool Coin. And oh, did we get some responses uh, on Twitter and from email? Uh, let me just share a few of them uh, from Matt Fenlon. After today's podcast, I can't wait to be cash poor and Fool Coin rich. From Adam Blaze, I just bought $5,000 in CPU equipment to mine for some full coin. Guaranteed $500 per coin was too much to pass up. Sorry, that, the aftertaste is a little... Okay, continue. Uh, yeah. That's all right. Can I have another? No, no, no. I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and this is an actual Twitter handle from a Latin Steve Broido. What is the conversion rate to full pesos? I want to retire later this week. Do we know who's behind the Latin Steve Broido uh, Twitter handle? We do not. I do not. But uh, but I love that it's there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, from Paul Zunioni, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, in San Carlos, California. I have an opportunity to roll over my 401k into an IRA with the freedom to pick up uh, to pick from any investment. Now, should I load it up on Fullcoin? I think the uh, yes, the yes. obvious answer is yes. yes well, that yeah. opportunity is missed now. Right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it is missed. Um, so that's obviously one type of response. Here's a different type of response uh, from Jim Murphy. Is Uh-oh. Fool Coin for real, or is this an April Fool's Day prank? I took it seriously until Copenheffer talked about the Six Sigma Mandelbrot, which sounds too wonky to be for real. If Fool Coin is for real, please explain Six Sigma Mandelbrot. Uh, from Adam Finn, who wrote two emails. The first, he writes, I have been listening to your daily show for years now, and I am completely shocked by Fullcoin. I'm not even sure what the proper analogy is, but I can't believe you guys would allow yourselves to destroy your brand like this. In the span of one move, you went from earnest guys you can trust to borderline shysters. Fullcoin seems like the exact opposite of everything that you stand for. Huge bummer. I still love your show, though. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for doing what you do. 
And then 45 minutes later, he wrote, I just realized it's April Fool's Day. Well done, <laughs> sirs. Well done. Fool one, Finn zero. Uh, and Although, from, let's be fair. We weren't borderline shysters there. We, we went, I, th- I feel like we went all the way. You went full-on shyster. Full-on full shyster. You went full-on shyster. Uh, and from Matthew Luke, who writes, Your commitment to April Fool's Day throughout the site and multiple podcasts is outstanding. This is why I love the fool. Uh, thank you for that. And if you didn't check out Investor Beat, our daily market wrap video show, we did not talk about fool coin, Tim, uh, fool coin, Tim but we did talk about, holy cow, some pretty exciting companies out there. Yes. Zygletics. Uh, Roman Financial Services. Wonderpants. Wonderpants. <laughs> and Carson Industries, which our colleague Charlie Travers enlightened Don't me about. Don't give it away, yeah. I'm you not going to give it away, but holy cow, Carson Industries. Uh, talk fi- about disruption. Talk about disruption. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally uh, disruption. <laughs> uh, email from Alan Payne in Helena, Montana. I loved the bit on Foolcoin, but I have a serious question. I have a son, age 16, I would like to introduce to the world of investing. He has a job, and he'd like to save and invest some of his wages. Do you have a book you would recommend for young investors? Flash Boys. Uh, for young investors to read, to give them a good overall introduction to investing and the markets, and maybe a book for me on how to teach him how to be a good investor. It's a great question, and to the point that you made earlier, Tim, uh, it is unfortunate that given how much better and more transparent and cheaper it is to be an investor today than it was 20 years ago, it's unfortunate that a lot of younger people look at Wall Street and just say, well, no, that's that's a, a rigged game and I want no part of it. Um, but to Alan's question, um, a book or two or some advice uh, on how to uh, get someone young interested in investing. There are a lot of great books about investing in business out there. You know, I, w- I would say I'm not sure w- what his job is or what he's interested in, but, but I would, you know, rather than recommend a book, I would say, you know, pick a book that aligns with um, what the kid wants to do. So, if, for example, if he's into retail and that's where he's making his money, it might be worth reading the Made in America book that Sam Walton wrote. It's not an invest- investment book per se, but would get you very excited about, about business. Um, from like a nuts and bolts perspective on investing, um, you know, one up on Wall Street, I think, by Peter Lynch is probably the classic. Like, buy what you know. Here are ways. Here are a couple ways to to take what you know and analyze it as an investment. And it's a pretty pretty fun page turner as investing books go. Matt, you know, I've read a lot of investing books, and I, I think as far as that goes, I, I'd agree with uh, Tim that the that the Peter Lynch books are great. He's very he's an engaging writer, or at least an accessible writer, um, and, and that has those books have uh, good stuff in it, uh, in them. They're also the Warren Buffett letters, and those have actually been compiled. Like the the, the meat of the letters over the years have been compiled into a book um, that would be highly recommended. But I, I've been kind of sold by David Gardner uh, in recent years on the idea that. Investing books are fine, and, and you can get some background there, but he's big on, on business books. So, so as uh, Tim was mentioning, reading books about successful businesses, understanding what makes a successful business, as opposed to um, the, the in-the-weeds investing stuff, the, the ratios and everything like that. You can learn that. That's pretty simple math. Um, but, but I think really understanding what makes a outstanding business, much harder to learn, takes a longer time, um, and, uh, and, and better to learn over the long term for an investor. Yeah, the only thing I would add is that I find that once you start helping your children 
connect the world around them that they're already experiencing. Once you connect that to business, it's a lot easier, I find, to get them interested in investing. So, you know, making them understand that the iPod that they listen to is made by a company they can own shares of, the sneakers that they wear, the, you know, the coffee shop that you go to. My uh, my, my three-year-old already adores John Mackey. (laughs) <laughs> on account of his customer experiences at Whole Foods, it's very funny. He knows this. He knows wow. him by picture now. That's impressive. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I mean, your kids are younger than mine, but I remember um, one of my daughters when she was about two and a half, and just being stopped at a red light in Old Town, and she, you know she's in her car seat in the back, and I heard her say Starbucks. Now she can't read, but just the ability to recognize, look out the window and recognize a logo. Yeah. Uh, was pretty amazing. One final email I got I to have to share, and I was I was mentioning this to um, uh, to your colleagues down on the first floor, Bill Mann and Bill Barker. We get so many emails on April Fool's Day throughout the years, and frequently they fall into large buckets. It's either you know someone who instantly gets the joke right off the bat, and it's like, hey, that was great. Someone who was tricked by the joke, and you know they write something of outrage. But we got a a, a rare email, and that is the person who realizes that it's a joke but is initially tricked and this person actually shared what he wrote before he was tricked and I love I have to share this. this is from Mike Degagne um, with the subject line I got pretty far before I realized he writes you guys got me today look how far I got in my diatribe before it hit me nice job and then the email continues you guys jumped the shark on today's show. All I've heard from this program is that Bitcoin and digital currency is a dangerous fad investment and a joke. And today you had someone on your program pitching it like I was listening to an infomercial. With this move, the entire Motley Fool organization is moving from an impartial, trusted leader trusted leader for smart, long-term investing to... And that's it. And then he just stopped. <laughs> and then it, the light bulb went off in his head. Uh, so thank you all. Thank you for the emails. Upshot there, maybe I have a bright future career in infomercials. Oh, I think anyone who has watched Where the Money Is already thinks that. <laughs> Agree. <laughs> Most, mostly an infomercial. There's an infomercial and then some a little bit of valid information from David. You got the sound effects gag. I mean, you're there. <laughs> there, man. Check out Where the Money Is on iTunes, on Stitcher, and elsewhere. You can watch it online, but you can listen to it. For and- a limited time only, listen to one episode of WTMI and get two Absolutely free. Absolutely free. Uh, and as I say from time to time, if you're not reading declarations, the monthly uh, email from Motley Fool Funds, you really should be. Cause Do you that, have a special offer on that, Tim? Uh, yeah, we'll probably send it out monthly. <laughs> for free. <laughs> for free. Just Get go, around to it. Just go to foolfunds.com. Sign up for declarations. Tim Hansen, Matt Kupfer. Thanks for being here, guys. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. Someone punch me in the face. Yeah.